Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. For most of us, when we decide that we're going to law school, we have zero idea of what type of lawyer we want to be. I know that that was definitely the case when I started. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer from like Law & Order SVU. Um, Usually what most of us know about being a lawyer usually comes from Law & Order and Legally Blonde. Shout out to our girl, Elle Woods. So if you're thinking about going to law school or you're already in law school and want to get some clarity around what types of law actually exist out there and what type of law might be a good fit for you, we have just the thing for you. A longtime friend of the podcast and law school coach extraordinaire, Angela Vorpal has put together a free, what type of lawyer should I be quiz? Awesome. Am I right? This 90 second quiz is designed to give you a window into what is the best fit type of law for you. So what are you waiting for, guys? Go take this quiz and then send us a DM on Instagram sharing what type of law you got. We can't wait to hear what type of lawyer you might be when you grow up. You can take the quiz at www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com. Have you been looking for podcast-like audio lessons to learn about law school? I know when we were in law school, we were begging for something like this. Well, we found just the resource for you, and they are amazing, guys. We've been working with Barcast Audio for over three years now, so basically since we were 1Ls. Now that we are baby little soon-to-be lawyers... We can definitely say that it was worth our time to get BarCast Audio, not only in law school, but also while we were preparing for the bar exam. So if you want to check it out and learn about all the core subjects and the MBE subjects, definitely go to BarCastAudio.com. And Haley, will you tell our listeners their special code? Yes. Use code LADIES. That's L-A-D-I-E-S at barcastaudio.com to get 10% off your next purchase. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And this week, we have a professor from University of Buffalo, Tanya Monastir, and she wrote the book, Shit No One Tells You About Law School, and just, you know, gives us some pointers about some chapters, and we don't want to spoil it all because you have to listen and you have to read the book. So should we jump in? Let's do it. 
please help me welcome our guest, Miss Tanya Monastor. Hi, Tanya. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How about you? We're hanging in there. We all want to know about you. So tell us and the listeners a little bit about yourself. I am currently a tenured professor at the University of Buffalo. I just started last month, but I've been teaching at the law school level for quite a few years. I taught for 12 years in Rhode Island. I taught for two years in Canada. So I've been out of law school for, for quite a while, which I think makes me well positioned to to write the book that we're going to be talking about. In terms of a little bit more background about me, I'm Canadian. I went to law school in, in Canada. I also did an LLM, a master's in law in England. I have worked in the United States for a while, so I'm sort of all over the place. But like I said, now I've, I've landed at the University of Buffalo. We love that. So yes, we are here to talk about your book, Shit No One Tells You About in Law School, which we love the title. <laughs> Thank you. We are so happy to have you on and talk about this because this is so relevant for our listeners. The first thing that really caught my eye that resonated with me was the title of chapter number two, Law School is a Mindfuck. So whenever I saw that, I was like, oh my goodness, I couldn't have said it better myself. So I just want you to talk a little bit about that and shed some light for our listeners. I mean, so many of our listeners are starting 1L this year, so they want to hear what you mean by that. Yeah. I mean, I think the expression is apt, albeit somewhat inelegant. And, <laughs> you know, when, when I was talking to different publishers early on, that was a bit of a sticking point in terms of the language. Um, but fortunately, the publisher that I ended up going with, they were just great. They were like, you do you, you say whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. So uh, I'm really grateful for that. But it really is, you know, law school is difficult in all sorts of different ways. But I think one way that's underappreciated, especially when you're coming into law school, is that you don't know, I don't want to say the word, but you don't know how much it's going to mess with your head yeah. on different fronts, right? Like you're thrown in this environment with people you don't know in this place you don't know, and people are using all sorts of fancy words, and people look like they belong, and they're acting like they belong, and then you're there, and you're like, how did I get here, and am I supposed to be here? And so I think the first few weeks, certainly, maybe even a few months, you're kind of going through at law school going like, what, what is going on here? What's the Socratic method? What's the curve? What is biz org mean? And like, you don't know anything. And you just feel like you've landed on this other planet. And it really does take its toll because you feel you feel stupid, you feel like an imposter, you feel like this wasn't a good decision for you. And so you know, the you know, the word that I use, which I shall not repeat right now. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm shy about saying it when I'm perfectly fine writing it. But, you know, I think I think it it makes sense. And it encapsulates everything that one else experience. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I know we always say and try to tell our listeners that law school and the law is like learning a new language. And mm -hmm. you, with that, you have to give yourself grace in the process because, you know, you you didn't expect to learn all of the Spanish language or French language that you learned in a year or two in high school, did you? So 
why would you do that to yourself now? And I just think sometimes we don't look at it as that kind of way. And we have to change our mindset around that. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. Showing, you know, self-compassion is, is a really good thing because, you know, it is a completely new environment, a new vocabulary, a new everything. And so to hold yourself to this impossible standard is just not going to bode well. Absolutely. Another chapter that caught my eye and actually we were just having some discussions with someone else today and they were asking us about outlining the classic outlining right so gosh I mean whenever we tell people about it I almost say worry about that a little bit later down the road and you know this is week one just start just keep reading the material right like think you just need to do your case briefing right now don't worry about outlining but what do you recommend and what do you tell them about outlining? Well, I think outlining is one of the many steps in a process. And so I think one of the things that makes the book different is, you know, people want, law students want advice, right? And they want tips and it, they want it to be like easy and simple and conducive to like 20, 20 word explanation. And, you know, in the book, I lay out kind of, if you want to succeed in law school, if you want to have sustained success, then, you know, it's kind of a long drawn out process. And it starts well before outlining. It starts with, you know, reading, taking very good notes. After you take those notes, I suggest every single day you outline um, the subject that you start that you you know, learned that day. So, you know, I know the common wisdom is to wait at least a month and sometimes closer to exams. That gives me serious anxiety for students. When I was a law student, I outlined every night, like three, four hours a night outlining. And I did that every single day. So when it came time to study a month before the exam, my outlines were up to date and I could work on the memorization and practice problems and whatnot. You know, I don't look at the outlining piece as being something to advise on in isolation, because your your outline is really only as good as your note taking, yeah. which is as good as like, you know, you're paying attention in class and having done the reading. So it's all kind of like steps on a, on a continuum. If something breaks down on that continuum, you're taking bad notes, you're not outlining properly, you're not studying far enough in advance, things are going to fall apart. And so, you know, I guess like, the, the thing that concerns me is when, you know, one L's get advice that, hey, this is the key to doing well, because there is no one key. Yep. It's if you want to do well, and not just like a one off well, but like well across the board, it's it's a process that you have to think through for yourself. And you have to decide how you want to tackle it, because it's not just about reading or just about outlining or just about like memorizing. It's about all of that. That was put so eloquently. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, the mess- It might have been put eloquently, but the message that you should outline every day is not one that is well received. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, but it makes sense to me whenever I think about outlining every day because it truly is a way to synthesize information. I just think as a law student, sometimes we're so all over the place. So I definitely recommend to all our listeners out there to get your book and read that section about outlining because I know that it gives you uh, some guidelines, right? Like you're saying, but it, it, there's no map mm-hmm. out there. There's no one way to get to the destination. And also if I can just like add something real quick, yeah. like, 
you know, the, the one thing that, you know, I think overwhelmingly points to outlining every single night is um, what's called the forgetting curve. And so there's a chart in the book and it's called Ebbinghaus's forgetting curve. And it shows just how much you forget in an hour. And by the end of the day, you've forgotten like 55 or 60% of what you learned that day. And so the fact that you could leave contracts and an hour later be down to like 30, like, you know, lose 30%. And then by the end of the day, you've lost 50, 60%. Like, that's horrifying, right? And by the end of the week, it's almost all gone. So if you don't capture what you learned, you've lost it forever. And so that's, I think, you know, the greatest thing that I would, you know, focus on with, with students or get them to focus on. And that is like, you can do all this work. You can spend hours and hours reading and like pay attention in class and take great notes. If you do nothing with those notes, it's like all that is just like up in smoke. It just vanishes. So you have nothing to show for your four or five hours of work if you don't capture it. And so this is not me saying this. This is like some scientist who did like a curve, right? So um, this is this is based on real science. But as applied to the law school context, given the volume of information you're learning, it really is wise, I think, to capture that on a very, very regular basis. Great advice because yes, you can't forget to go over your notes and synthesize the information. I feel like that's such a big word to use, but it's so important. And I know so many of us do that so many different ways. So this is the time as a 1L to start figuring out how you best synthesize uh, the information you're learning every day. So I noticed uh, in the book that you said or mentioned about studying groups and why they're stupid and things like that. So, you know, we studied together all of law school, but I know there were definitely times where we studied and realized that we had to study by ourselves just to truly have that time with information, especially during the bar exam studies. Um, so we just wanted you to talk a little bit about that because we get that question a ton about, you know, should I find someone to study with? Am I, am I okay studying alone? Different things like that. And I'm sure they'd love to hear your insight. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, I have to come up with catchy titles for things, right? And so the title is Study Groups Are Stupid, right? Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean for all time and for all purposes, they're a bad idea. Um, obviously, it was just, like I said, a catchy title. But fundamentally, I think that studying, like real studying is a solitary endeavor because you can't really learn something, internalize it, memorize it. Um, when you've got like five, six people around you, I think you need to like figure it out on your own. And once it's in your brain and you got it there, then I do think it might be productive to get together with people, um, whether it's just to um, talk it through out loud to make sure you've got all the steps or to go through a problem or something like that. So in that respect, I don't think, you know, that would be a bad use of a study group. But I think the problem is people start using study groups like very early on when they're just in the, I need to learn this stage. Mm. And then you don't really learn it because you're just hearing different people. And it's just, it's not getting into your brain. Like it needs to get into your brain. And also I think, frankly, you guys would probably have to admit a lot of time gets wasted in study groups, yeah. right? I think people, you know, joke around and they start talking and it becomes like a fun thing. 
And so, you know, I do have a rule. If, if you're having fun, it's, it's not working, right? <laughs> it's not studying. And so, it, you know, I, and I do have a, a bit of, I guess, bias here in the sense that I never studied with a study group. So I was like that person who like was at home on her bed and just like studied everything by herself. So I was that girl and it worked for me, but I'm not just like advising that because that was how I did it, but just because I've seen what study groups tend to look like and how they play out over the years. And like I said, I think it's a very inefficient use of time unless done properly. Yeah. I mean, I finding the right people too, if you are going to do study groups, I know that when and then kind of parted ways and then did things our own kind of did that where we studied on after we'll be right back hey guys we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers audible yes Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Yeah, and I think we definitely realized that more as we went through law school, that it is more of a solitary thing. So yeah. I definitely can say that time was wasted, but also um, there's something about having those friendships because it is so lonely, like almost setting like a time limit, you know, or your study group has an hour, but only you meet up after you read or, you know, just setting those boundaries, I think is so important too, because um, yeah, like you said, you made a really good point. Time can be wasted and there is no time for wasting whenever you are first starting out law school. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm just coming at this in this book from an academic perspective. And so oh, yeah. like, I do appreciate that there's other value to a study group. And it really does create this sense of like camaraderie and yeah. community. And, and that's important, too, right? It's important for, you know, your, your morale, it's important for your well being. And so I'm not discounting those other functions of study groups. But those are sort of extra academic functions. And so just from like a pure academic 
standpoint, I think using them sparingly, um, just once you've studied already, I think makes the most sense. Yeah. And I like that. I really think the biggest takeaway from that is to know the information yourself. And that's the solitary part. And that's the part of learning that I always say is lonely, but it can be not so lonely if you do that first. So I like that advice. You talk about learning how to think and how law school changes your mind and mindset and just the way you think. I know whenever we first went to orientation, um, one of the lawyers that came and talked was like, you're going to IRAC everything. You're going to think like this. And I remember thinking like, what does that even mean? So help, you know, especially the one else, this is for you guys, help people understand you know, how law school shaped your mind and why does it do that? Well, I think, you know, the goal of a law school education is to get you to think deeper about things, to be more analytical, to be critical, to organize your thoughts, to see arguments and counter arguments. And I think those are just the sorts of things that students coming in are just not familiar with, right? And so in undergrad, you're probably used to memorizing and regurgitating something back at the professor and, and no one ever sort of pushes you a little bit further and says, well, what are the implications of what you're saying? Like, if that's what we do, what would that mean for X, Y, and Z? And that's where students kind of get a little bit like, wait, I, I don't know. Like, I gave you the answer. I'm done. Right. And so the the goal of a law school education is to be able to see the second and third order effects of your thinking, to be able to see things from multiple different perspectives. And that's actually, you know, one of the hardest things because law students come in and you know, they'll read a case and they'll have an opinion They'll be like, oh, so-and-so should have won. And then that that's it. It's almost like tunnel vision. And they're not able to even open up their minds to, you know, different possibilities or arguments. And so I think by the end of law school, hopefully you get to the point where you're where you're able to do that. But at the beginning, it's it's definitely a challenge. It's definitely tough. You know, also, I think another misconception about law school that students have coming in is it's like you just memorize a whole bunch of law, right? Like you come in and you're like, okay, the definition of murder is this. And, you know, a contract is that. And it's just like, it's law, right? So it feels very like something tangible that you can just memorize. And I think one of the the things that students don't realize is how much gray, there's way more gray than there is black and white. In, in law. And so, yeah, you can have a general principle and you can memorize that, but that that's the easy part, right? The hard part is the nuances of how does that apply? And if you change the facts a little bit, how is that going to apply in that circumstance? And, you know, that's where students get a little bit like, well, wait a second, but I, but I know the rule. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's nice. I expect you to know the rule, but what about the rest of it? Right. And so over time, this, this just it takes time to develop and it's okay that students are not great critical thinkers necessarily in their 1L year. They, sh- they shouldn't be, right? It's not something they've been trained to do. And frankly, I think even when you're a 3L and you graduate and you just start out as a lawyer, you're still developing that skill. So I think it's something that takes a long time. And, you know, again, this is one of those things where you shouldn't beat yourself up if you're not where maybe some other people are, right? This kind of ties into another theme, which is imposter syndrome. Like you're going to see someone in class, there's going to be like the one person with their hand up all the time who seems to know everything and is getting all these connections. And, you know, 
that person and the professor totally driving, right? And you're like, I don't even know what's going on, right? And so sometimes in those scenarios, students tend to sort of feel bad about themselves and and the fact that they're not there yet. But again, it's just, it's an evolution. It takes time and you can't expect, you know, to be able to do these sorts of things overnight. Exactly. Does not happen. It's yes, no. such a process. Like even after, like are like, every single day. It seems like. So. Yeah, that's definitely why they call it practice, right? <laughs> right, right. As I'm sure you can imagine, the chapter about this one's for the girls caught my attention, and being a podcast that has such a prominent listenership that is women, you know, we obviously want you to tell us a little bit about. Obviously not everything, but tell us a little bit about what you have to say for for the girls and, you know, the future lady lawyers out there. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's a lot in the book about this. So it's hard to, to know because I think I explore this from a lot of different angles, yeah. both from a personal perspective, things I've experienced, things that I've experienced kind of as a young lawyer, professor. I have a lot of stories about my students um, in the book that they that they shared with me. And I guess like one of the overarching themes is that sexism still exists, except in a in a different form than you would expect. And so it's not usually that overt form of sexism that we're that we're used to. It's what one of my students called sneaky sexism or subtle sexism, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can't really put your finger on it, but you always wonder that that's a weird comment, right? Like, why did that person make a comment? And would they have said that if, if I were a male? And, you know, I find myself asking that question a lot, right? Like, would this person have said that to me if I were a male? And the thing is, you don't know what the answer is, but sometimes you just like, have this suspicion that it would have played out totally differently. And, you know, there's a story I tell when I was a young lawyer and I was um, working on settlement negotiations and some big high profile litigation. And, you know, so I was in my late 20s and, you know, it was a stressful time. It was like a great opportunity for me. And I was, you know, in um, Florida, I believe, with a very, very senior partner. We were at a dinner with a, a prominent plaintiff's attorney. and. You know, I was the one who was asked to kind of present our position. We were having dinner. It was like a steak dinner. It was like quintessentially male, right? Like a big steak dinner, right? And I I guess I was speaking quickly. And sometimes that happens, especially with women who get nervous and they speak quickly, or maybe they just naturally speak quickly. But I didn't realize that. I was doing my thing and explaining kind of our, our position. And, you know, the the lawyer, the more senior lawyer who was with me kind of like stopped me. And he was like, okay, take a breath. Just, just stop. Why don't you start again and just go slower? And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that to me. Right. And here's the lawyer on the other side. And, you know, both of them were maybe 20 or 30 years older than me. And it just felt like, here's, here's my dad, right? Like, telling me what to do kind of like you know when when you're a kid and your dad says oh say please and thank you did you say thank you for that and I just felt like so embarrassed I wanted to die and you know when I'm when I was writing the book I thought like is that really a sexism story like it's not right 
But then I just wondered, like, would he have stopped a guy? Like, or would it just have been different? Like three guys at a steak dinner and the junior um, lawyer would have just been talking maybe quickly and the other lawyer would have just like let him talk. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff I've experienced that's, that's like that, where it's not in your face. It's not like something overtly sexist, but you just have to wonder, you know, what's, what's going on there. Now, with that said, like you'll, you'll see there are examples of the book where there is still overt sexism. And, you know, as a, as a professor, it's a different experience than as a practicing lawyer. But, you know, early on in my course evaluations, there would be comments about my clothing and like very detailed comments about like the slit in a certain skirt being too high and, you know, comments like that. And it was just, it's very disappointing to feel like, you know, here you are doing your job, you're dressed professionally, and you've got students who think it's appropriate to be talking about your your clothing choices, right? And in, in something that's going to your boss to read, right? So again, like, is it sexist? I don't know. But like, I've talked to male colleagues, and not one of them has ever had a comment in their evaluations about their clothing. And, you know, females have that all the time. So, you know, there's a lot in in the book about that. There's, you know, some discussion about how, you know, I think we might think of sexism as originating from men, right? The, the story I gave you was a man at the dinner with me, right? But in in my experience, I've had a lot of um, issues where I guess the sexism sort of writ large emanates from other women, right? Who are very judgmental about what you do, what you say, how you say it, what you wear. And, you know, I have a story about um, a former student who essentially, you know, got in trouble, if you will, for wearing a sleeveless blouse underneath her blazer, right? And it was, it was summer, so she took off her blazer at her law firm. And the paralegals at the law firm complained that she wasn't dressed professionally. And so, you know, some of this stuff comes comes from women, and that's true when you practice, and, and that's true in, in law school. Law school has the mean girls. I hate to say it. And, you know, hopefully you guys didn't experience that when you were in law school, but I, I do think that there is some cohort of mean girls in law school because they're like, they're everywhere in life, right? And so that might be something that, you know, some of the students who are listening to this podcast might experience. And so hopefully the book will help them work through some of those feelings and realize what they are. And I I, I know I've been rambling, but I yeah. just I'll say one more thing. I was talking, I know, I'm just like, let's talk about my book. Let's talk about me. Um, I was talking to one of my students who just finished reading the book, and she said she was a student who I had asked, Have you experienced sexism in law school? And she said no. And I was like, great. So she wasn't one of the stories I included in the book. And they're all pseudonyms, by the way. But then she read the chapter and she's like, I can't believe I said no. Like, I'm reading this and I've experienced all of this. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. And now that I read it, I feel like I understand what's happened to me. And feeling like someone else had that same experience and that this is kind of a universal experience really helped because I didn't feel quite so alone. And it helped me sort of like 
put a name on something. And so I think, you know, in that respect, it's valuable too. even, I don't know that I have any great advice, but knowing other people have gone through this is comforting in a way. No, I couldn't agree more. And honestly, I think that this chapter is so important for our listeners to go and read just because like you said, you might not even know that it's happening or it just brings awareness to the issue. And we also, as women and lady lawyers, we need to support each other. And maybe you're the mean girl. Maybe you need to take a look in the mirror and think, <laughs> right. you know, I hate to say it, right. but it's true. You're, chapter and you're like, I don't recognize any of this. Then yeah, maybe you're the mean girl. Right. And you just need to recognize how you treat other people and how, you know, do you really need to be commenting on a person's slit in their dress? Looking at everyone out there in the room, right? Also, so there's way more important <clears throat> things like to worry about. Come on, man. Okay. so. I think that alone is the reason that every single one of you listening needs to go and get this book immediately and check it out because it has so many good tips in here. And we appreciate you so much for coming on today. But will you tell everyone where they can find the book? Um, Sure. Yeah. So it's on Amazon. Um, And so if you just either type the name of the book, which is shit, no one tells you about law school, but you've got to type shit with S-H asterisk T. That's the only way it'll come up properly. Um, Then you'll find it. Or you can type in my name, which is Tanya, T-A-N-Y-A. And the last name is M-O-N-E-S-T-I-E-R. It'll pull up the book there. It's also available through Carolina Academic Press. And so if you you go on their website, you can actually, I think, get a 10% discount if you get it through there. It's also on Kindle. So if you buy it through Amazon, you can get it immediately. But um, I think I'm not sure if you get like there's a couple pictures. So I'm not sure how that works with Kindle. Does it show pictures on Kindle? Yeah, it probably does. Right. Yeah. My, my old. Yeah. Kindle All right. Then, too, yeah. So I'm sure the new ones do. Yeah. Cool. 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 I've never had one. So I wouldn't know. <laughs> but awesome. Yep. And if anyone wants to reach out to you personally, do you have a, a platform where they can reach out? They can look me up at the University of Buffalo. It's easy enough to find my my information and and uh, send me an email that way. Anybody wants to chat with you more about the book or you know just say that they listen and enjoy you, I'll we'll definitely uh, link where they can find you below. That would be awesome. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yes. Thank you so much. Of course. It was great to meet you both. All right, guys. You got to go get this book. I mean, they they call her the Jessica Pearson meets Carrie Broadshaw type book and honesty in this book. And honestly, totally agree. I had a chance to look over a little bit of it. And I mean, there's just so many honest stories in here and so much for the 1L and future law student to learn from this book. So we just can't recommend that you Check out the link in the show notes and go grab yourself one of these books today. And if you've listened this far and you want a copy brand new, brand spanking new for yourself, you can follow us on Instagram and DM us just telling us your favorite part of the episode. Or if you take a screenshot and um, it's a five-star review, we'll also send you a copy. So yeah, first person to do that. So uh, what time is it? Probably you're listening this either in the morning on Monday. Well, it doesn't have to be the first person. We'll just pick somebody. Oh, look at Haley being all generous. Okay. So you're welcome. 
So yeah, we'll do a little giveaway for the people who got to this point in the podcast and go back and listen to the rules because I already forgot them. (laughs) And um, yeah, we're doing well, guys. We are both working girls. We have more updates for you that we'll give you in a solo episode soon. But until then, like I said, follow us on Instagram, leave a review. Always, guys. If you like this show, please leave a review and let us know why you love it. And as always, like she said, follow us on Instagram. We are chatting it up and giving out advice over there too. We hope that everyone who is starting law school and our fresh little one else are staying sane. I know, guys, it's crazy out there, but seriously, check out this book. It has some great advice. And remember that it comes from an academic perspective not necessarily taking into account mental health and all the other things that we preach here on this platform, but it is some good advice and it will answer so many of your questions about outlining and and give you some guidelines for that. Also, just, you know, side note, everyone learns differently. So always remember what works for one person may not work for everybody else. So, you know, let go listen to like all our other episodes for 10 million different ways to study because There's a bajillion ways, guys, and sometimes you just need to figure out what works for you. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, guys, we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.